I remember my very first ride I did in India was to go to uh, Turahali. They told me that's a good place uh, to go mountain biking. And then when I reached there, I was like, what is it, like two kilometers of riding or something? Yeah. So like, it's a joke. And it took me 50 kilometers go and come back just to, <laughs> to see these two kilometers. And then I went at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hot. It was dusty. It was a lot of traffic. <laughs> then I saw two kilometers of trails where I was like, you know, that was maybe not the best ride uh, I did. Uh, did you try Owl Heli and stuff though? Yeah, now I know everything, of course. But uh, this was the very first uh, ride that I did. Yeah. At that time, of course, there was no digital stuff. So you have to show what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I had a book like a day calendar book and then each day I was writing how many intervals I was writing, what I was writing, what kind of activity I was doing, uh, what kind of uh, hulls do you have when you are resting rest pulse. Yeah, resting heart rate. So yeah. that was important because that can indicate if you're training too much or too little. Right, it so indicates the fatigue. Yeah, so you can make a curve, uh, which is basically today there's replacements of that for, for other ways of yeah. doing that. Right. But at that time this was important. So every morning we did, I took a heartbeat uh, resting pulse. Now it is uh, HRV and all that stuff uh, yeah. are similar concepts. Yeah. I am Vinky and this is the Working Athlete Podcast. Here I talk to working athletes from all walks of life and experts from various sports to provide you with inspiration, training tips, time management and lifestyle advice. If this is something that interests you, please make sure you subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. Today's guest, Miron Thomas, was a German pro cyclist in his youth who raced with the likes of Cancellara and Greipel before moving away from pro cycling. Although he gave up cycling racing in the 1990s, he continues to cycle for pleasure. He has been in India on work since 2017 and has been riding with us ever since. In this episode, we talk about Miron's experience as a young pro racing at the UCI level races. What it was like training and living like a pro back in the day compared to what you see now. He also shares his experience of riding and living in India for the last five years and what he will be missing most as he moves back home. It was super fun talking to him about his varied experience in cycling. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by The Bike Affair. If you are in search of a one-stop destination that caters to all your cycling needs, our today's sponsor, The Bike Affair, is the perfect place to check out. I have known the founders of The Bike Affair, Krish and Gokul, personally for nearly 15 years now. In fact, my first century ride was with Krish back in 2008. They are both exceptional human beings and entrepreneurs that believe in providing exceptional service to their customers. And it shows. With over 14 years of experience, the Bike Affair has established itself as a trusted source offering honest advice and exceptional service. They are offering a special treat for the listeners of this podcast. You can enjoy a 10% discount on your first order by using the code BIKEYWINKY on their website. So if you are in Hyderabad, visit their door in Kondapur. Or if you are anywhere else in India, shop online by using the link thebikeaffair.com. I will leave the link in the show notes. Now, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Working Athlete Podcast, uh, Miran. It's a pleasure having you here. 
thank you very much, Venki. I'm very honored that actually you invite me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. Awesome. Pleasure is mine. Um, uh, we have been riding together for a while now. And uh, I always, uh, you know, I, I, I know a little bit about your background, um, uh, you know, into racing and stuff, um, you know, back home as right. a kid, uh, as an youngster. Um, but you never raced here. No, uh, you know, good for us. <laughs> I did only one fun race on the go-kart racetrack. That was really a nice day as well. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to kind of uh, use this opportunity to get to know you a little more uh, better uh, before uh, you are your stint in India is uh, soon to be ending. So, yes, correct. Yeah, sad but true. <laughs> right. So uh, let us start by talking about, um, you know, your relationship with sports growing up? So we have in the family a little bit of uh, bicycle history. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather has been racing. My father has been racing. And uh, as my father is aware of uh, the, the challenges that you have when you do that professionally, because it burns a lot of time, he was never pushing me and he never wanted me to race. So when I was uh, very young, <clears throat> at the age of three, of course, he made me sh made sure that I, I know how to cycle. So I, I was starting to cycle in the age of three. And uh, it was the generation of the 80s with BMX. So that is how I started to ride a little bit uh, in the neighborhood. And of course, I always saw my dad's road bike. And uh, he had a nice uh, Italian Masi. And uh, I was always fascinated of the bling and uh, how nice the bicycle is and when he was riding how nice it looked and i had this bicycle which was bmx it looks a little bit like a monkey on a stone <laughs> and uh, then um, he asked me when uh, when i was uh, very young what kind of sport i wanted to do and then um, uh, at that time he just let me try different things except cycling and then uh, i decided uh, for gymnastics and this is how i started a sports career and in I was fairly good, uh, yeah, but I was not like a, in the top of, of Germany. I was always in the region. I was fairly good. And uh, in South Germany, I was okay. And then uh, when I became a teenager, uh, we moved uh, to South Germany for my uh, dad's job. And then uh, that was uh, 1992. And I have backed for a road bike for a long time. So mm -hmm. in 1992, I got a road bike, which was an aluminium uh, Alan. And uh, it, uh, it was built by my dad's mechanic. So when he was racing, that mechanic was still there. And uh, there's a lot of history about that. Uh, so my dad has carried the torch for the Olympic Games in 1972. Wow. And uh, that photo was, of course, in our house. So and the torch was also in our house. So I was aware of all the sports heritage. And we had a lot of uh, uh, fun moments, but that was the first time that I actually got a road bike. So it was uh, at that time, it was a little bit of a mix put together bike that was not too costly. Uh, and uh, it had a Shimano 105, uh, the frame shifters, the down tube shifters. Yeah, down tube shifters. Uh, at that time, it was just the beginning of uh, cleats, so it was not with a cleat. It still had the uh, the cage, ah, and uh, that was basically my first year of riding. And my dad had also a uh, 
a rule that I'm not allowed to ride on the road until I can ride on a free roller within a inch stretch. So he put a marker on the rollers and if I can ride in this marker, then I can ride on the street. So wow. there was, that was the first rule. And um, because at that time I was uh, just, just turned 11 and the road bike can go up, of course, to very much uh, high speeds. And therefore he wanted to make sure that I can ride on a straight line. And that I think was one of the, the key characteristics to, to make me properly cycle. And then all the rides, uh, of course, after a few months, I could ride on, a, on an inch. So that uh, uh, was then the start of, of, of riding road. And then uh, he taught me basically all the tricks and things, how to ride, how to do uh, ride in a proper windshade. And uh, this is how, how, the, how, how the whole thing has started for me for road biking. But at that time, he also didn't want me to race. So he always made sure that we had a nice father-son uh, uh, ride out. And uh, he never mentioned anything about road racing or anything like that. So, uh, and uh, I was fairly okay with the gymnastics. So with age then uh, in 1993, then I got my first cleats. And uh, we went uh, into the Alps and, uh, you know, there's a Großglockner, one of the major climbs in the Alps, which I did when I was uh, 13. And um, we just did like fun rides, mm -hmm. nothing training or nothing specifically. If I like it, I can ride. If I don't like it, I don't have to ride. And before I came to that stage, uh, I, um, as I said, I had first this BMX and then there was this time where mountain biking was very hip. Right. Uh, that was uh, just before the 90s started. And I always wanted to have a mountain bike at that time because you saw it, you know, the friends and everybody. And then uh, Shimano had launched this 18 speed where like uh, everybody thought like you have to have a bazillion gears and yeah. to, to ride fast. And my dad got me a three speed mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was so disappointed uh, that, you know, because we had I had friends in class in school that had this Shimano 18 speed. And I was always like completely depressed that, uh, you know, I did. You only had three. And speed. then. Um, because they were riding then the 26 inch and I had only 20 inch, uh, so 20 yeah, inch yeah, and uh, three the three speed. Wheels, yeah. But then my dad told me, you know, it doesn't matter because it's, it's actually you who makes the difference and it's your legs uh, that makes the difference. And then uh, we had uh, this, uh, you know, in the neighborhood, you understand that actually once I could accelerate properly with the three speed, I was way faster than the guys with the 18 speeds because they don't know how to get through yeah, the gears. Right. Yeah. So this is also one uh, one lesson that uh, I learned that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about material. At the end of the day, it's your legs that make the difference true, and your mindset true, yeah. uh, that makes the difference. So that uh, that was uh, for me also one lesson. And uh, then in 93, as I said, then I got the first time cleats. And then also I got the um, cross shifters, you know, which are the bar end. Uh -huh. So that they, yeah. they go from the frame. Yeah. 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 So and they were also indexed so that you could click it through just, the gears. Yeah. And uh, that bike I I, uh, I really loved, but of course it was for an eleven year old. So I I was growing slowly out of it. And my dad he got a brand new cycle in um, at the same time. And uh, I don't know if you are aware of that, but uh, SRAM was before SAX and SAX and Campagnolo they had a technical cooperation for the shifters. Oh, I wasn't aware. So my dad, he had uh, this, instead of the Campagnolo Ergo Power, the, he had the Sax, I forgot what they were called, but they had mm -hmm. the exact same group set branded as Sax and Campagnolo. Oh. 
And uh, that bike is very similar to what I have built up now uh, here in India as a souvenir. Mm. And uh, uh, I, uh, of course, wanted to have these shifters. And at that time, it was very expensive because it was just latest state of the art technology that came out. So then uh, my dad made sure that I had shifters at the drop bars, but they were not in the brakes. They were at the end (laughs) of the bar. So that was uh, really great. But of course, then with time, I I got really used to it. And, uh, you know, when you're sprinting, you are in the drops in any way. So you can, uh, with the back of your hand, you can shift down then uh, and accelerate. And then uh, once you are in the in the last gears, you can use your small finger for the last gears. Hmm. So that was uh, a great, great jump ahead. And then uh, in 94, then I got my ego power because then uh, uh, I grew out of the uh, Alan bike. Uh, the frame was extremely small, so it looked like a time trial bike uh, when I was riding the last couple of rides on it. And uh, that bike, I still have what came then hmm. with the Ago Power. And I was very lucky because at that time I, I wanted always to have a Campagnolo group set. And uh, I got a Campagnolo Coros on that bike. And that was also the bike then I was racing with. And uh, because the shifters had a long lead time, Kampi has made a deal with my uh, dad's mechanic that he got the record. Right. Ergo yeah. powers. So I was like the most proud kid on the block <laughs> with the record ergo power. Uh, because you, they were distinctive in design. So you can, even if you don't know uh, the group set, you can look at it and you know, oh, that's the record one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the bike, you then, you we're, don't we're see so much. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, quite interesting. But I, I was extremely proud of that bike. And then as the um, the guy was uh, who was making the bikes when my dad was racing, he is a mechanic. And uh, so basically every season I had a new color on the bike and it was it was really great. And I really loved that bike and the wheels that I'm still using now mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I got at that time. And uh, then in 96, one of my friends, he started to mountain bike more serious. And uh, then I started also to ride with him. And then there's the company Cube in uh, Germany that makes bicycles. I mean, today they have all bikes. And then uh, we got the opportunity to join their factory team, which was really great. And uh, that was in cooperation. They had like an own distribution network, like their own shops. They were called Multicycle. Mm -hmm. So they had a Multicycle Cube racing team. And um, with that, then uh, I started to race, but on the mountain bike side. Mm-hmm. and only okay. hobby because my dad didn't want me to race right <laughs> so this is how i started yeah. but then uh, in the first races uh, i mean i was always in the top 10 of the entire group including mm-hmm. the old people right. i mean not the old people i mean at that time it was old people but <laughs> right. like our age people yeah, yeah. and the the u23 uh, and so on so then everybody uh, got a little bit an understanding okay this this person knows uh, what to do and then there was a club that was close to my home because in, in Europe, you need to have a club to get the license, mm. uh, UCI license. Right. Uh, and then you join the club. It's a, it's a yearly fee. There's some insurances included so that if something happens, that will uh, take care of stuff. And that club was like the most successful club in southern Germany. Right. And uh, these guys, they were aware of me. And the club manager at that time, he was racing together with my dad. So they right. only knew each other. Okay. And then... Um, I still was riding uh, on all these uh, hobby races. And then uh, my dad, uh, when I went to this gymnastics classes, I went by road bike. And then I basically, it was like a um, 45 minute ride. So I had a one and a half hour and I had two times training a week. Right. 
And then the other days I was riding with my dad. So and then I got more and more and more. And then uh, with my friends and this mountain biking and what I really enjoyed. And that is also something that I have then uh, experienced here back in India, that the 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 bike shop has made uh, rides on the weekend with the racing team. So that like normal people like you and me, they can join the racing team and they can right. have a fun time and they can learn from from the guys that are actually right. racing. And that was really fun because at that time, everybody knew that racing team and uh, there was a very big community that was around it. So uh, that was really nice. And then uh, one uh, day, my dad and this uh, guy, they, they with this club together, my dad said, OK, now just join the club and then we will see how how you do and then uh on the first big race which was called um there's like bundesliga which is like the league the german league and the first race of the season i would just won without anything and you then, won. Um, yeah with that of course you got uh, immediately attention of the trainer because people will come there and check out the youth and the young riders and this is how it started all mm. and then i got in this uh, really great team so the the jersey is uh, from my team is still there. I'm not sure people will be able to see, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The background, but and yeah. I still fit in that jersey, so <laughs> I managed to to maintain. And then uh, the the racing scene started, but that was also then difficult because in the end of the '90s, with all the doping scandals, it was very difficult to get into professional racing. Mm. And uh, I would say only the top 10 really made it out. So, and then uh, I had two uh, UCI World Cup races where I was riding together with the elite, which is like uh, Fabian Cancellara was there, Greipel mm. uh, was there. So they're all in the same age group than me. But I was just not good enough mm. to, uh, I mean, I could have maybe joined as a, a side rider or, you know, to just yeah, mistake. But yeah. I, I was not interested because I'm very competitive. I wanted mm. to weather the top mm. or nothing. Right. Uh, and then in 1999, I just stopped and focused on school and I said, I will never race again. Oh, and wow. then uh, <laughs> that is also something that is with this uh, competitiveness, because I, I I don't like to participate in racing when I know that I can be much, much better if I prepare properly, because I've seen how, how you can get better with the proper training. Right. And uh, yeah, then... Uh, since 1999, um, I finished university. I started to work, but I never stopped writing. Mm. And I still do this today. And I had a long phase in between where I only took my mountain bike. When I traveled or when I was working in other countries, I took only the mountain bike so that I'm flexible on... If it's shitty roads, I go with off-road tires or there's a good mountain bike area, you can go mountain biking. Or on the other hand, you are you have a good road, so I just changed my tires, and that I did uh, until I came to India, mm. and uh, then I did the same as I usually did. I came to India, I took my mountain bike. Uh, before I came to India, we had this week of discovery, so I uh, there was a specialized uh, brand store oh, that was a uh, specialized brand store in uh, infantry road. Yeah, in infantry road, mm. and. Uh, on the first trip when we came to India, I just stopped there and I asked them how the cycling is and they gave me some some spots uh, to do and where to ride. And then I came with my mountain bike and I had two sets of tires. And I think this is also how we have met uh, right. my mountain bike. Yeah. And uh, that was that is the mountain bike that I was racing on when I was in the cube team. So it's actually the cube uh, team bike. Oh. It's just uh, painted stripped uh, because yeah. at that time it was yellow 
uh, it was Sid Blue, which was the the latest uh, RockShox uh, suspension fork that was came coming out. That was in a specific color, so that everybody understands that's a right. top of the line uh, suspension fork. And uh, then we were sponsored by uh, Michelin tires, and they had these green Wild Gripper tires. So it was yellow, green, and uh, <laughs> blue, and it was really easy to visible. I mean, to to visualize the team. Right. But that was all on 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 hobby level, you can say, not not under UCI license. And then with the road bike, I started only on UCI license. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my dad, uh, we did um, in order to properly train because you know today everybody trains with power. At that time, power meters just started. Right. And there's only this... SRM was there. Again. Exactly. So yeah. SRM and the the brother of the SRM founder was in that club that I joined. So oh, we had one unit, nice. one test unit on one of the bikes so we that we could experience uh, this power stuff. Nice. And um, then after uh, this, we trained with Pulse. So then basically you have to regularly do a checkup with the doctor where they check on uh, oxygen levels and uh, lactate mm -hmm. and uh, the how it is related to uh, the power development and then you do the step test and then uh, based on that you get uh, the pulse levels and then you train according to that right and uh, i mean just today i was speaking to somebody about training and uh, he said uh, you know how, how this is done but at that time of course the technology was not there that uh, you have today in like very small right. space uh, and what uh, we did then was you do you do train by pulse but it is like um like driving a car, you know, with time, you don't look on the speedometer anymore. You know the speed right. you're driving because you get the experience. And mm -hmm. that's exactly the same with a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. you, you get exactly dialed in, let's say, within five beats per minute, you can tell where you right. are. Yeah. And um, then in the beginning, you have been very focused on the pulse meter. And then once you get it into your rhythm, then you understand that. And the, the good thing I would say with training with pulse is, of course, that when your body is tired, the pulse is adjusting. Hmm. So and right. then uh, the training is uh, is compensating for the tiredness if you are tired. And uh, but I I believe uh, I mean technology has evolved so much and training methods have been uh, properly analyzed. Like when I was racing, I raced on nineteen millimeter tires because everybody believed that's the fastest tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And today everybody is racing on maybe twenty. That is. And they are now Tour de France. They had even thirty two millimeter tires. Yeah. And this just because technology was not available. So I had like, um, now I don't know in PSI, but in it was 11 bar mm -hmm. and 19 millimeter tire. Right. And it felt like rock rock hard. Right. It's like a stone, you're riding on a stone. But uh, you believe that it was the fastest because it's true. If you put that on a roller without mm -hmm. any uh, road surface right. interference, that's the fastest tire. Mm -hmm. But the road is unfortunately not as perfect <laughs> as a steel drum. Right. And uh, yeah. And um, then... Um, when uh, when I then uh, come when I came to India, uh, then for me of course everything was new, you know, new roads and so on. But from experience, I have seen that wherever I have cycled in the world, where I went with my bike, the roads that I pick on the map when I look at the uh, surroundings is exactly the maps that the local people write. Hmm. It's just by experience you get a you get a look and feel for which roads are good and not. And of course, now we have Strava heat maps and all this other stuff. So, right. you know, even an idiot can find a good way to write. <laughs> uh, but at that time, uh, for me, it was always map. Yeah. There, there was no mobile phone. And I had always a small paper on my uh, bike when I was riding that was just uh, city by city that I was just ticking off that I know where I am. And then if I got lost, I just explained hmm. local guy where I am and uh, where I have to go to this next uh, destination. And that was how we were riding. 
Nice. So yeah. for in in terms of training when you were uh, you know racing uh, say the you at UCL level right what what kind of training were you doing uh, you you mentioned you were training by pulse mm. as in heart rate mm. uh, you know what kind of volumes were you putting in like for uh, per week and so stuff? I was uh, riding uh, when I was on the peak of my uh performance then i was riding 20000 kilometers a year right and then that was a mixed that's including the race kilometers mm-hmm. i usually had between 500 and 1000 race kilometers per year right and um the what i mean there is this uh, zone 1 2 and so on right similarly to that i had uh, something that, that that has just different names uh, in german mm. but it's the same setup yeah and uh, the goal was to basically move the lactate pulse mm. as far out as possible right so that you can ride as much as possible without producing a massive amount of lactate right. so that was the main goal of of the training mm. and then of course there's sprinting and and fun. i mean um something that i learned here in india is uh, you know there's uh, rishab who has uh, done all these training courses on uh, on training <laughs> and he was telling me that you know mere on the way that you were riding is basically called lake fart and i didn't understand that at that time so then he told me that this is some scandinavian word that they came up and then lake fart i speak swedish so then i said ah yes lake fart means translated play ride right. and that's exactly how i ride yeah. i uh, i just go out for fun i don't want to follow any principles i just want to have fun when i'm riding and uh, this uh, fun ride that is also something that when you are training together with the team or something you do a lot of i would say funny stuff right. and that is also like sprinting to the to science uh, on yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. and that is also i think uh, if somebody would ask me today of training advice i would say i cannot do that because i don't know the latest right. research and technology but one thing that i can give an advice is, is have fun yeah. because that's the the most important part if you go on your cycle and you already think like oh what a shit you know today i have to do this training program or something Yeah. Just forget about it because it will not help you and you will not develop further um but having fun is the most important and i think this is also why i have never stopped because i see it as a fan activity mm-hmm. that is not like oh i have to make this many kilometers or i have to ride that many hours um uh my uh my riding amount per year has has changed over the years depending on the year depending on the climate conditions depending on the terrain and so on but i like to ride uh in in sunshine so i always say that i'm a sunshine rider because i hate to ride in the rain so when i had to race you have no choice it's basically you train in the rain you have to ride in the rain and you have to just deal with that but when i stopped this racing career i would call it i just said i will never ride in the rain again <laughs> until today i'm trying to follow that of course when you go out and it starts then and it's you know you can't do anything about it but in general i uh, i have this uh, that i don't want to but i really enjoy riding in the snow So every year I make sure that I have some snow kilometers that I get and uh, I really love to be in the snow because uh, bike handling skills are much more demanded uh, you usually fall once every ride right. so that means that you learn also how to fall because that is also important because uh, most of the people are when when they start cycling or when they have cycled a long time they try to avoid falling which is logically because mm-hmm. nobody wants to get in um, that but if you have an opportunity to learn how to fall in a safe environment which is snow yeah. uh, it's soft you know nothing gets scratched on the bike uh, no problems 
uh, it helps you to you know to roll off the bike or that you don't break your collarbone and these kind of things and um, that uh, I would say has uh, helped me because I never got any serious hmm. injury on the bicycle. Do you ride the mo- uh, during your snow kilometers? Do you ride mountain bike? Yes. Or? Yeah. Yeah. You need to have some profile on the tire because otherwise it's it's impossible. <laughs> But it's really enjoyable. I like it, especially if the snow is deep, uh, because the snow is also like a muffler. Mm. So when you ride on the road, you hear the noise of the tires and uh, other stuff. But uh, once it is snowed, it is calm. It's yeah, quiet. It's very peaceful, so you yeah. are riding uh, with a bicycle in the snow and you don't hear anything. You don't hear the tire. So it's it's just uh, the environment and yourself. Yeah. And uh, in, in our home in Munich, I have a loop that is... Uh, uh completely in the wilderness and that uh, you don't touch any main roads and that is really great i really enjoy that it's of course it's freaking cold right <laughs> that's uh one thing uh when i lived in sweden uh, i did this also and that there was like temperatures up to minus 20 so i i managed usually one hour right at that cold temperatures because then whatever clothes you have the cold is creeping in yeah and it, it will come uh, and i had many times where i came home where i couldn't open my hands anymore <laughs> so you have your hands like this you have to put the key here and you have to open the door like this because <laughs> it's just so cold and i was using plastic bags and the shoes to insulate even further and i tried everything but i would say one hour at minus 20 is like and you breathe also through some cloth so that right. you don't have um uh the, you don't have the issue that the cold air goes too deep in mm. But uh, I, I really love to be in the snow and the cold because it's not the whole year mm. and it's just a special season and mm. uh, it's it's very good for bike handling skills. And you can do, you know, once you uh, you can do burnouts, like a donut you can make. Right. So uh, there are all things that you can learn uh, when you have this kind of condition, which mm. is not uh, possible in the summer. Yeah, I mean, snow riding, I haven't ri- ridden in snow, but I have done snowshoeing and stuff and I was yeah. in Vermont for a bit. Oh, that's so, it, it like you said, yeah, snow acts as a muffler mm. or something. It, it can be so, so calm. It, it, it can be very eerie if you are, yeah. uh, you know. And I managed every year since we are in India mm. to go on snow ridings. Mm. I, uh, I Even though it is just like 20 kilometers or something, but it's it's just to to have a nice time in the snow. Nice. And I have a couple of bikes in Germany that I, uh, I use there. Mm. And uh, uh, that has also, uh, you know, helped me to uh, to do and to be able to do that fortunate enough. Right. Because of course, not right. everybody has the opportunity, as you said, you know, yeah. in India, it's it's a little bit of a challenge to ride in the snow. Yeah, we get to ride in rain and, uh, <laughs> you know, puddles all all year around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've I seen you uh, uh, being uh, very, very off uh, water or, uh, you know, in one of our rides, I remember you and um, Kavi just stopped dead in your tracks and i was like yeah. wondering what happened it was the underpass in uh <laughs> exactly. I remember that so there was like uh maybe an inch of water yeah. and we were like uh stopping uh i i was wondering what happened you said water right we're not riding <laughs> like, it's like the cat you know when they took the paw in the water i said no no thank you <laughs> So I just rode, you guys rode another extra five kilometers and yeah. joined us later. later. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah funny. But um, so coming back to your ride, uh, you know, racing uh, times, right? So how, um, when you were racing uh, with the UCI license, what kind of races were there? And, uh, you know, how was the season? So normally you have... Uh... Because of the climate conditions, I would say you start like in uh, February, March, mm-hmm. and it goes out to 
October, November. And usually you have two races a week, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Most of the important races are on a Sunday. So also the training schedule is made that you peak on Sundays. Right. And uh, the um, uh, crit racing is like, I mean, for me, crit racing was like earning money. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you get laps where you get bonuses and schemes. So I only was riding for that. And then Sundays I was uh, riding to win. Mm. And uh, I uh, I would say the, the most races I enjoyed was uh, like if you had the juniors that like the U19 class, they are riding up to 150, 160 kilometer races. Right. So when it's like 120, this was like my, my where I enjoyed it most when it's rolling terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, then, you, uh, were you around uh, under 19 at yeah. the okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the UCI races, that was like, um, I would say like the Tour de France for the kids, because mm-hmm. that's like a multi-stage races right. and you can collect points. And then uh, it's, it's basically for the big teams to check out, you know, who's the creme de la creme of the young riders right. and who could develop into something. So mm-hmm. that is basically why they are generating that. But the professionalism is, fa- is fairly good. So if we look at our team, we had a team car, mm-hmm. we had uh, two buses, mm-hmm. we had a mechanic, we had a person making food, we had a massage guy. Um, of course, you can say that that world elite in that age range is maybe 160 riders, mm-hmm. 200 riders. And uh, they already collect enough sponsor money to be able to afford to get this together. Mm-hmm. Not every team will be like top notch, but we were lucky because the the trainer or the the DS of our team, he was a former team telecom pro and he mm. just retired. Nice. And then he did that for one year to show that he can train people and keep a team properly running. Right. And then he moved back to team telecom as one of the sports trainer. It was wow. Mario Kummer. Um, and, uh, he was also, when he saw people, he could tell like, okay, this guy can write properly straight line. He, he will develop into something. This person will never do. I mean, they can always see right. from, uh, from writing. Yeah. And, uh, we had <laughs> at that time, of course, there was no digital stuff. So you have to show what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I had a book like a day calendar book. And then each day I was writing how many intervals I was writing, what I was writing, what kind of activity I was doing, uh, what kind of, uh, um, uh, what is that called? Uh, the the pulse you have when you are resting, rest pulse. Yeah, resting heart rate. So yeah. that was important because that can indicate if you're training too much or too little. Right, it so indicate you, the fatigue. Yeah, so yeah. you can make a curve, uh, which is basically today there's replacements of that for, for other ways of yeah. doing that. Right. But at that time, this was important. So every morning we did, I took a beat, heartbeat, uh, resting pulse. Now it is uh, HRV and all that stuff uh, yeah. are similar concepts. Yeah. yeah. As I said, technology has evolved so much so right. that uh, if somebody asked me today, I would say, have fun <laughs> and uh, try to find somebody who has, uh, who has really educated themselves about this. Right. And then it's also different that, you know, as you are also in the 40s, right. same as I am. Yeah. And when you are getting older, your body is changing. Hmm. Like uh, I'm always explaining now when I'm riding here with the guys, the first hour today is yeah. like almost like hell for me. Right. Until my body gets on speed, you know. When I was uh, racing, it was like the first hour was like, yeah. I go on the Switching bike and, go. and full throttle, no problem. Yeah. Today, it takes me like one hour and then after one and a half. And then when I warm up, then, uh, you know, it's like you get a, an old turbo engine. And then once you get up the RPM and then suddenly like... Whoop, 
then, uh, then I can write. And then even when I come back from the rides, I'm like still on full throttle. Yeah. So that I uh, I really enjoy when I come home. But mm -hmm. uh, when I go out in the morning, it's like uh, hell for me. And then the other thing is also when I came to India, my whole rhythm has completely changed because mm -hmm. here everybody writes in the morning. Right. In the morning at six o'clock, it's way too cold in my home. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to ride at six o'clock. And I'm not a morning person either. So yeah. I, uh, in the first times, I remember my very first ride I did in India was to go to uh, Turahali. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because they Turahali told me there's a good yeah. place uh, to go mountain biking. And then when I reached there, it was like, what is it, like two kilometer of riding or something? Yeah. So like, it's a joke. And it took me 50 kilometers, go and come back just to, <laughs> to see these two kilometers. And then I went at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so it was hot. It was dusty. Uh, it was a lot of traffic. And then I saw two kilometers of trails where I was like, you know, that was maybe not the best ride uh, I did. Uh, did you try Owl Heli and stuff though? Yeah, now I know everything, of course. But uh, this was the very first uh, ride that I did. And then uh, uh, when... Um, this uh, specialized store they offered rides they went to nandi hill right so i i remember that i went on one of these 100 kilometer i think it's a century ride or something correct, they call correct, it yeah and that was also <laughs> it was fantastic so i didn't know what the level is here mm -hmm. so i asked them you know what um, what speeds do you go and then they said yeah we will have two groups one is 25 average one is 29. <laughs> and i said 29 yeah 29 is okay that i can manage with the mountain bike no problem mm -hmm. and then um, because of course everybody showed up with the road bike right and then uh, when we started, the first 20 minutes, they were going like everybody full throttle. Right. Like, like, oh my God, you know, if that is continuing <laughs> for 100 kilometers, I will die. <laughs> so we're after, I think it was like after half an hour and we just exited Bangalore to go north. Then uh, I think it was like five riders left yeah. <laughs> and the whole group was completely. So in Europe, if you have a club or you have a store doing, they will make sure that the group is staying together and they really make 29 if they say 29. Yeah. And then uh, when I when we come to uh, when we reached Nandi Hill, I was completely toast. Mm. I could barely make it up, and uh, there was uh, I think it was like four riders left, and uh, I was the last one that reached the top. And then when we went down, I said, "Guys, you know, if I don't eat anything now, I will I will not make it back to Bangalore." So and they uh, of course they didn't know anything about me. <laughs> so then I ate. I remember that I ate two. Uh, egg omelets <laughs> right. and I drank uh, three bottles of coca-cola so I had like full of sugar and then uh, the egg and then uh, I went back and then uh, of course then my body got refueled then I pulled everybody back with my mountain bike in and we reached the three people <laughs> so it was really funny I enjoyed that a lot uh, and then uh, from then onwards uh, when I rode with the people then I understood that it's it's fairly easy because even if I'm tired I still have I know all the tricks of how to not push hard and just roll with the people. Yeah. And even if uh, if I go with fast people and I feel that it's way too fast, I would just Same suck thing. on their wheel yeah, yeah. and uh, enjoy the ride. Yeah. So that that was the the very first uh, ride right here in, in Bangalore. Yeah. And then of course, then I got exposed to the different groups. And then I met this guy um, Arindam. Mm. He lived in uh, Vatur, and then uh, with him I got introduced to your group mm. and then uh, i started to write this uh, omr mm. towards cola we'll get here get there but uh, you know we were uh, sidetracked when we were talking about your uh, you know racing yes yes, yes that's true <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so you, you you were keeping um, you know a book uh, yes correct uh, yeah. yeah there and uh, yeah. today everything is digital yeah. correct, correct so i had always two things on my bike that mm. was a speedometer mm. that was uh, with a magnet mm. you know collecting the data yeah. uh, and then i had uh, the pulse meter that mm-hmm. was the second uh, display and this was right. basically a watch that you put up on the on the handle right it was not integrated uh, correct and right. then i had a belt on mm-hmm. so that was uh, how i was training and then as i said with time uh, you get really your body you you learn a lot about how your body is acting with the different parts so mm. i could uh, in the winter time when I, i was training always in the winter on a free roller mm. and uh, again the inch inch thing right and um, uh, all the intervals that i was riding uh, i would say after one month two month i was within five beats mm. per minute right without looking at this thing mm-hmm. so you get it really into your body and that, that, that i always say that we know people have a hard time to believe or to understand and it's just they can only explain it with the speed of the car right because everybody who drives a car they can guess after a certain period of time they don't need i mean they they know that they're not driving 100 they know that they're driving 50 but right. not 51 or 52 uh, right so but within five, uh, you get it uh, fairly mm. accurate so you you were sharing the data uh, with uh, your ds and stuff Correct, that's, yeah. that's where they kind of look at uh, the data yeah. and see if you are uh, in the league of you know you, if you can make it they are like correct that. so how um, and the races uh, uh, you were doing are mainly like saturday sunday saturday is more crits uh, or uh, sunday basically you can find a crit every weekend saturday and sunday mm-hmm. but it is um i would say the the sunday is more where the big races will be like uh, mm-hmm. around 80 to 120 or more right. uh, which is more important because it is when when you want to come to a team like i was fortunate enough to join this team mm-hmm. and you are part of this uh, six rider core mm-hmm. they want to identify the talent by looking at them mm. and if you are only doing crits for fun mm. then uh, you are not really getting uh, identified mm. because that's more or less a play yeah. the crit is for yeah. uh, for technical stuff technical riding uh, to get the feeling how to ride in the in the, the peloton yeah uh, so that is all <laughs> when when i uh, Uh, see that also here most of the people are not used to ride really close together mm. so once you go to europe and you ride one crit then you understand that this is here very far away yeah, from each yeah. other uh, so you always have somebody on your elbow mm. that uh, and then yeah. you also have to position yourself it's not just a group ride where you stay in one position with the elbow out is you have to go through that also and uh, find your spot and uh, there's always a movement that people from the outside keep coming uh, keep coming and, and, and uh, it's it's know, continuously if you if you are uh, you know static or if you are in at the same effort you will find yourself uh, at, at the, the back yes. very soon yes. right within minutes and because of this uh, rubber band effect yeah. you get dropped like that yeah so that is uh, I, i keep telling people here all the time you know let's write you know compacto you yeah. know close together you know don't give so much uh, gaps and don't overlap these and you know yeah. keep But the, the overlapping line. you have no choice yeah that is uh, that's in the in, in the race uh, yeah. you know peloton stuff but you you have to at least in the, when you are maintaining a pace line yeah and then the 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 UCI races i did that was always stage races up to five days mm-hmm. so then you have a team time uh, you have a time trial uh, you have a mountain stage you have a sprinter stage some have a um, a crit in build for fun, i mean just to 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 have fun mm. uh 
and uh, you have support vehicles. Uh, there will be some motorcycles who are riding around, giving you the time of uh, the groups that are away and so on. So it's it's fairly professional, and it is just the jump to get to a professional contract. Right. And uh, again, there is also that it's it's a very limited amount of people that will be having access to this because of performance. Mm. But once you're in there, there will be other people watching. And that is, as I said, uh, other like the big teams, they will have always somebody who is guarding and right. looking out for new talents that they want to get in the next season in the team as a professional. Right. And if you look at the most of the top guys uh, that you see uh, riding today uh, in, the, in the big races, the professionals, all of them have come out of that. Right. Yeah. So once you are in this and you identified, it will basically go as a friend. Right. And I was like the best results I had was like maybe position 30 out of this 160. So right. I'm never really visible. Right. And uh, therefore, uh, as you said, just to be a domestic, I'm not that, um, I'm yeah. too competitive. You know, saying like I'm always riding behind. So right. it makes no, it's no joy for me. And then, uh, once you do a few years, because of course your performance is not increasing over the years, it's mm -hmm. decreasing. And uh, if you look at the top guys, if they uh, they will make their money within 10 years and that money has to last for the whole year, for the whole for life. life yeah. Yeah. And if you can manage that, then it's great. They, they will be visible enough. They will get some sponsoring contracts. They will get into teams and be a, a DS and so on. Mm -hmm. So that is great. But you have a ton of writers that will just they just for their they yeah. will fall out like um i mean there are people that have been world champion as a junior they are now bike mechanics right they are still connected to cycling and so on but it's you know everybody has a different ambition hmm. and uh, that was not my ambition right and then uh, that's why i focused then on uh, on work hmm. so and have a beautiful hobby yeah <laughs> true true so uh when you raced uh you mentioned you know cancellara and grapel and you yeah. know these guys what kind of races do you guys come across only in the uci yeah yeah because all you meet only in the big big mm. races because they're coming from different countries right. and normally you you have only national racing mm. and there's very few international races and that is the ones that are really world mm. cup level uci right and of course, you have sometimes if you are close to the border that people go like from uh, Munich to Austria is close by. So you you right there is a cross border, but you will not have all the guys getting together mm. like in this UCI races because there it's like the creme de la creme of all the countries. Right. Excellent. So <clears throat> now we come back to India. <laughs> yes. So um, you you mentioned about the, your experience, but the group ride experience yeah, that was great so um which year was this it was 2017 when i came to india 2017 yeah. so um you know how how did you now uh it is 2023 that we are talking about almost yeah. six years yes uh, correct so how how did uh you you know find riding in india and how did um it uh, did you see any change over some from 2017 to now and what kind of mm. uh, things? So when I came to India, I I mean, it's like every country I've been to, I identify my routes where I want to ride uh, and so on. I ask local people where to ride. And uh, usually, uh, you know, cycling is an international sport. You get very quick appointed mm. to, to different people. And uh, I did as usual, just ride like I want to. And uh, I had my mountain bike here with the two sets of tires. And then depending on what I was doing, yeah. uh, I was exploring the different mountain bike areas, uh, like this Budigere, Avalahar, right. Hesedagata. And I 
personally don't like to go by car anywhere. I like to start and stop from my house. Hmm. So that is always my writing method anywhere I go in the world. Yeah. And therefore, to go to these mountain bike places, it is quite a ride from Indonagar, uh, right. where I'm at home. And uh, therefore, I was riding more and more on the road because that starts easily. And then I had this contact, uh, Arindam, uh, who was living in Vatur, and he connected me to this group uh, where we met also. And then uh, I started riding. And uh, one thing that is fantastic and what is i would say the the greatest uh, thing here for the cycling community the community is very connected right. everybody knows each other yeah uh, so that is something that i really enjoyed the other thing is that it's easy to reach out to people uh because of whatsapp yeah. uh, and you you got to know to people so that mm -hmm. is uh, something that is really great and uh normally people meet up for riding mm -hmm. which is making it easy to join if right. if you want to and all of this uh, is then crowned by the weather condition. I think the people yeah. that are locally living here, they are not aware of how great they have it because it's basically a cycling weather 365 days. A year. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. just because of that, I ride double as much here mm. than in Europe because I don't have a winter season. I don't have uh, the rainy autumn or spring season. And yes, uh, people are complaining about the monsoon here, but in reality, it's, it's a joke because it rains an hour and then it dries up within an hour. So <laughs> right. it is always a good weather condition. <laughs> Almost always in the evenings, not uh, when yes. we ride. Yeah, yeah, correct. And then, of course, we are saying like we're complaining about the three days of rain a year that is uh, here. <laughs> right. I mean, of course, there is more days, but in general, it's it's very, very little. And the yeah. weather condition is always perfect. Right. And uh, I had to just overcome my morning issue mm. uh, because I'm not. Uh, so what I do is I uh, when I ride in India, I wake up, I get dressed and I leave the house within 20 minutes. Right. I don't eat anything. I don't drink anything. Yeah. Um, and then I had this issue with the bottle cages, which I also hated. I have lost a couple of bottles. And then every bottle I lost, some commercial vehicle was driving over it. <laughs> so then then I said, okay, no, I I hate this. Uh, I will not uh, do this anymore. And I got this camel back. And now I look right. like a tourist with a backpack yeah, when I'm riding. <laughs> so... Uh, and uh, so since then, uh, because many people have asked why I ride uh, with the camel with the camelback, yeah. yeah, it's just because of uh, bad experience. Uh, mm. And then you say, okay, now I have a bottle cage that works, and then they make some new speed bumper, and you lose the <laughs> bottle again. So I, I have so many bottle cages uh, that I tried out, uh, and it's uh, it's just a frequency when you go over these uh, speed bumps that have a couple of bumps behind each other, right. and whatever you do. Once a year or twice a year, you lose one bottle, and I was just tired of that. So I, uh, I skipped that, and now I'm riding as a tourist. Mm. And the other thing was that when I came to India, I was aware about the air pollution. Mm. So that was something that uh, was a concern for me because I am not used to to ride, and I couldn't imagine how it is. Uh, so on. so I did some research, and uh, in 2008, I think there was the Beijing Olympics in in China. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of international sports people that complained about that the pollution. I mean, they are way worse than here. Hmm. And uh, I was in the in the early stages uh, when I was doing this research, I was thinking that I will buy some cool mask that looks like a monster or, so, you know, something funny. Right. And then uh, in this research, they did test all kinds of masks from expensive to cheap. And at the end, uh, in this uh, research, the mask that I'm wearing here is the one that was it cost like 200 rupees. And and it's, it's, the, yeah. Yeah. it's a 3M mask and that is the mask that was uh, the best in this test. Mm. And then I started to ride with it. In the beginning, 
I was using it to go from my house out of the city. And then in the countryside, it's in any way right. very good. And uh, then COVID came. Mm. And uh, then there was this law that you had to wear a mask outside. And as, as I'm a foreigner, I didn't want to discuss with anybody. So I kept the mask on. And now since then, I have... You still uh, ride with mask. I, I got used to it to not uh, take it off and just write uh, yeah. and uh, forget about it. And then I, uh, when uh, the COVID the pandemic started then there was a lot of discussions about uh, you know you you suffocate and all of this so then there was another research that was done in the us with a, um, a football team hmm. wearing mask not wearing mask and that was like three to five percent of your performance you cut when uh, you have some kind of filtration in front of you because of uh, the breathing uh, strength that you have to use and the muscles are differently used and so on yeah. but as a hobby right by three to five percent you don't feel it anyway so yeah, yeah. it didn't matter and uh, so that's uh, how I uh, I got used to it. And of course, everybody knows that I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. So, so you, th these, these are two distinguishing, uh, you know, uh, features. Mask, the guy with the mask guy. and the, uh, you know, camelback. Yeah, yeah correct. <laughs> so, uh, say from 2017, you've been riding. Uh, what, uh, I mean, uh, say... But you um, never raced apart from that one race uh, Correct, yeah. on the this thing. Why? Why? That's still the same. Yeah, same. Uh, the same method. Know. I have yeah. said I will stop in '99 and I will not race again. Right. And if I race again, I will be properly prepared. Yeah. So that was uh, what I uh, what I've said, and I just I'm standing true to that. Mm. And uh, then there's also like if even if you're not the strongest rider, mm. uh, there are many ways to win a race. And if you know a lot of tricks, then it's uh, fairly easy. And the go-kart race is one of these uh, that I know right. that I was, it's a very uh, tight course. Right. And uh, then uh, I was just not, I mean, I was just not, I was taking it like a, a fun activity. Right. Uh, so, and it was, it was a fun activity. I really enjoyed it. Mm. And then uh, unfortunately I had a different plan. My plan was to actually take this race and then in the last lap I will just uh, out sprint and then stop at the line and let everybody else pass and then unfortunately in the last curve Joel Joel crashed flat and he crashed, crashed. Yeah. and then uh, and then I didn't understand that that was the last lap and when I look back so there's some videos where you see that I'm running I'm rolling over the uh, finish, finish line yeah. and I'm just looking back and then when I was I was continuing racing and then uh, when I came back I said come on Joel just get another bike and then uh, we will continue <laughs> and then I understood that it was the last lap but yeah. um, these kind of fun activities of course I am still uh, keen but then you see that even uh, as I said even if you're not the strongest rider mm -hmm. you just have the you know the tricks yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah so that is how it's come there yeah. Yeah, that 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 was the only race that you took part in, which you won, which mm. you didn't know that you won also. Yeah, yeah. so that was it was not fair and square uh, one. So that was. Uh... Yeah, he he was Joel uh, was uh, sprinting out of that last corner, mm. and um, he his uh, tire I think yeah, was just rolled there. out of the rim and yeah, he crashed. That was uh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great! So yeah. uh, now. Um, I you know a little bit more about the riding in India. Mm. So what what kind of uh, uh, what all places did you ride in uh, in India and what what or what are your favorite? So books? many people, of course, know me from riding out of the city. Yeah. Uh, but the majority of the rides I like to do in the countryside because mm. uh, riding it's like a Formula One car. Right. I can drive three hundred on the straight. 
that's easy peasy it's just putting right. the foot down and yeah. you don't have to do, just keep the steering so it's the same with riding a bike here yeah most of the people here you see them on the highway, highway. it's just a straight line so it's not really challenging mm. and um therefore you you cannot build up skills if you're riding on a straight mm. line so mm. for me the the highway and is just to get out of the city quick right and then um, when i ride alone I don't want to be hit from somebody behind. So mm. I usually manage to ride with somebody else, with some commercial vehicle or some rickshaw or somebody else that is there. And then I ride with them out, go in the countryside, enjoy, and then uh, come back and ride back in the city. So and normally you see only the people when I'm riding into the city. So that is, um, it is one thing. But before I came actually to riding uh, here, I, as I said, I came with a mountain bike and um, I, uh, I met Rishab and I met uh, Vivek. And then uh, I got so much more connected to the cycling community here that I was thinking about, ah, you know, road bike would be nice to have in, in India. And then uh, I thought about it. And uh, then because technology had evolved so much from the 1990s yeah. until now, 2020s. So then in 2018, I decided that I will build myself a new bike. Because all the bikes I built myself, I do all the maintenance myself uh, that has come with the fact that my dad had the mechanic and then you want to you want to have it a certain way right. and most of the mechanics they don't know the certain way yeah uh, and and everybody has their own way but yeah. uh, if you want to have it specific and you you ride higher speeds you want to make sure that everything is 100 percent. so therefore i i have always built uh, my own bikes after racing because uh, racing is easy you have a mechanic you have a sponsor right. everything is there so it's not a really a big thing but afterwards i uh, i built all my bikes and um, then i started to look into it then uh, of course all this aero stuff has come up so i want to have an aero bike and uh, when i uh, built my uh, mountain bike for uh, germany that was the last bike i built before i came here it's a lightweight uh, mountain bike i started with this one bike Hmm. And I really enjoy that because I can adjust the gearing exactly to what I need, not, hmm. uh, you know, some marketing figures. Right. And uh, then uh, I was just doing research and then I found that the 3T at that time, they have just launched a bike that was one bike, okay. aero. So I said, okay, that's the frame that I want to try. And uh, the position that I'm having is basically the position that I'm riding since the 90s. Hmm. So once I got in my body size that I have now, yeah. I can say from... 96 97 onwards i ride the same exact same position and then on the mountain bike i have just a different steering and uh steering angle position than on the road bike yeah and then uh i i calculate uh the distances with the new frame dimensions and then you know what kind of stem you need what kind of drop bar you need um uh, i picked all the components to what i need so that my bike is maybe not your favorite bike right. so but it's it's suiting me exactly to my needs mm. i wanted to have disc brakes because that was new at the time and because it is one by uh and 3t is an italian brand i wanted to have actually uh, campagnolo mm. and campagnolo for me uh is uh, i have been racing on it i know how it works and right. it's for me the most beautiful group set but unfortunately the last group sets that have come out is not not my favorite and then when i looked at things with the one by you will always have a, a dead uh, shifter right so then uh, i was thinking to to try out a uh, digital shifting and uh, i looked at the three brands uh, that offer that but only shimano has a real free programmable system where you can with the computer you can uh, program all the buttons yeah 
And because you have only two shifters and uh, Shimano offers six buttons, then I, with the one buy, that was the solution. And that's how yeah. I ended up at uh, Shimano. With Shimano DI2, yeah. But for me, every day, every electronic setup that I've been writing is for me a slow shift. Yeah. When you are used to a uh, company, like for example, the record that I have on the classic bike, mm -hmm. and you compare that with digital shifting, it's way faster. Yeah. I can sprint much faster out of the zero when I accelerate with this than uh, with the DI2 because the, the um, if you look, SRAM is the, like the slowest because they have also a, a, a bit of lag. They have lag because of yeah. the uh, wireless. wireless. Yeah. And the DI2, they are they are restricting the speed of shifting that you don't damage the components. Hmm, Even though you can you can change the programming of the shifting speed, but they they are I mean it says very fast, but hmm. it's a joke compared to a mechanical direct shift. And uh, the Campy you can shift all the gears with one button through from hmm. top to bottom yeah. in yeah. one stroke. Hmm. So that means when I accelerate, you can uh, pop two gears at the same time. And until the DI2 does two gears at the same time, it's uh, so all the sprints what I do I I have already shifted in the big gear yeah. to get going. Uh, uh, because it's just uh, for me too slow, mm. so that is one deficit uh, on the DI2. But basically, because I met Rishab then and uh, Vivek, and uh, we have been riding together, and then I got this idea, and so and then I went back more on riding a road bike because I haven't done that for I can say mid two thousand five. Yeah. I didn't so for for fifteen years I didn't ride a road bike only yeah, my mountain yeah, bike. Yeah. And then I got back on the road, uh, and of course then as uh, I haven't been riding and then you go from like old technology to like latest technology I, w I mean it's just a leapfrog uh, that you do with uh, the speeds that you're going mm -hmm. uh, average speeds that you're going and then average it's like five kilometers per hour to the mountain bike mm -hmm. with the same yeah uh, same riding so it is a drastic change then I want to try tubeless mm -hmm. uh, which was very good because if I look at my flats in the six years I have two flats where I could not go home and the rest was flats yeah. that I was able to go home yeah. uh, or uh, it was just not visible because of the, of the liquid it, in the... Yeah, no, too blessed to care of it. Yeah, so that is uh, one thing that I have also now started in uh, in Europe to mm -hmm. change my tires there to tubeless. Uh, that was just one technology that I had to learn because I was not aware of how, how this works and so on, but I got that done. And uh, then I started to have more and more group rides. Uh, and of course, that is one thing, you know, everybody talks about the traffic. Yes, uh, traffic is there, but I really like to play with my bike. The bike is not a sports equipment. It's for me a toy. Yeah. And I like to jump on sidewalks and go through the cars. And most of the, the traffic is in Bangalore much slower than in Europe. So I can actually, with my performance, I can actually ride with the traffic. And uh, I just enjoy, you know, at the traffic light to drop the uh, motorcycle riders because nobody is like doing it like a race start. At the... <laughs> so that is, uh, I really enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy the ride out. And when I come home, even if the traffic is dense, I really enjoy to go through it. Mm. It's, uh, it's, uh, you get close to the vehicles. It's a little bit like riding in the Peloton because you go through the cars. Sometimes you hit a mirror with the elbow <laughs> because it's, it's quite close. Yeah. Sometimes somebody is doing like this with the car mm. and is mm. uh, bumping into you. But uh, I, I had not had uh, any bad experience. Uh, people are very polite. Uh, I had in the pandemic time, we had some occasions where we thought like, this is not really, hmm. it feels a bit strange, these people. Yeah. And then uh, because of the, the local people just tell me, look, I told this guy that we will go to this village and we just turn around now right. so that we don't face any issues. 
And then uh, we had one guy that was trying to discuss with us something, but uh, I'm not a person that likes to stop and argue with somebody. So mm -hmm. we just continued riding. Mm -hmm. And then we were lucky because uh, we passed, when he stopped on the side of the road, we passed him in the in the blind spot of a vehicle. So he didn't see that we were passing. So we were still standing there and we were gone. So, right. so I have, I have uh, 99.9% really positive experience. And then one thing that I personally enjoy is uh, that is when you're competitive is there's a lot of people on the road that when they see you riding, that they're like, really like, job, you know, go faster. Yeah. You know, that is something that I personally enjoy a lot. We had once, uh, there were two truck drivers when I came back from Cola, they couldn't believe that I'm riding with them. So I guess it was the same company. So then I met some other friends, I stopped with them and then the truck stopped. They wanted to take some <laughs> selfies with us because they couldn't believe that I was riding with them. So yeah. that was really uh, fun. And these kind of occasions you see a lot, like I see a lot of motorcycle riders that come by and, and uh, talk a little bit with me or they, uh, they want to say like, oh, great, you're really fast. And this, that's, uh, you know, it pumps my ego. <laughs> So yeah. that is uh, great. And that is some that is really what I will miss because here's nobody. There are some funny occasions where people try to tell you that things are dangerous. Yeah. Like uh, just the other weekend, I was uh, riding with one of my friends and then a motorcycle rider came. No helmet, wife on the back, baby under the arm. <laughs> and they they ride next to us and tell us it's dangerous to ride on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we are wearing our helmets and we are riding on the side of the road i said yes yeah but i think that you know you and your family with no helmets on the motorcycle and the baby on the outside is maybe you should consider your safety first before you consider our safety that's so funny yeah but in general we have uh, uh as i said i don't have any bad experiences i get of course there's uh, i i normally say i have normally two crashes a year mm. so that uh, something happens but all the crashes that i have that was uh, things that i could out balance or slow down enough that the impact is not high. Uh, I had this stupid taxi driver driving into my front wheel when he cut me. Ah. And uh, but I could get off the bike. I landed on my feet. Mm. Not even my clothes were broken. Mm. The only thing that was broken was my front wheel. So I have right. crashed two rims mm. uh, in India in this uh, five years. Yeah. One was a pothole. Mm. That is also something that is uh, hard here because sometimes when you go, especially on higher speeds, and then a deep pothole comes, it is just ripping you everything. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's great. And, you know, I, I like the point uh, of, uh, you know, riding off the highway. In the last yeah. uh, year or so, I've, uh, I've taken to that, the riding, uh, you know, in Hesargata and yeah. uh, even... Uh, and it's so beautiful. It's great. And uh, it's just that you have to dare to explore new things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, there, there is this thing, you know, even in when and when I started back in Hyderabad mm. uh, in 2008, there used to be these uh, guys, expats uh, who were working in Microsoft mm. who used to, uh, you know, take us out uh, and show our own country roads, you know. <laughs> so that, right. that that's because we take everything for granted. We don't, uh, exactly. you know. We we stick to the highways. We, uh, you know, we think that you know off the into villages maybe the roads are bad or that or this. We don't want to go there, but. There is so much to explore. Mm. So many good roads, That's as true. you said. Um, 
See, now we have Jonas, who is exploring the exactly. northwestern part. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now uh, you know, a Swedish guy is showing uh, what, you know, what all new routes are there exactly. around Hesergata, right? Yeah. It is amazing, you know. And then on top of things, it will uh, train your uh, riding skills. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not riding in straight line anymore. You have to take turns yeah. and multiple turns. And if you're alone, that's easy. If yeah. you're in a group, it is already starting to be challenging. So that is, I think, something that uh, is helping the people also to improve their their riding skill sets. Exactly. So you know, nowadays I am, you know, taking the group rides mostly into the, you know, uh, into these country mm -hmm. roads uh, because there are so many good and again, roads today with technology. Most of the guys they have some computer. You can download the map of somebody else who has been reading there. So even yeah. if you don't know the way, you can actually. Uh, see it so that's yeah, a huge advantage the, yeah. yeah yeah and um but uh, again coming back you know the the indian the general indian population they are so positive mm -hmm. nice to ride with and you get such a positive vibe when you are in the traffic uh and then of course uh like if you have a certain skill set you just jump on the sidewalk if there's a lot of traffic you just pass everybody until mm -hmm. you come to the traffic light and jump back in uh, uh, I like to challenge the young kids on their bikes when they, and then some, some of them get really surprised that, oh shit, you know, even if I'm full throttle, he's still pulling away. <laughs> so this, this are just things that I, I will definitely miss when I'm in Europe because there's just not so much people and not so much, uh, right. vehicles available. Um, uh, but coming back, uh, there's always this uh, discussion about this drafting uh, of vehicles. Mm -hmm. So that is something that uh, I want to elaborate a little bit on. Mm -hmm. First of all, I don't recommend it everybody. Yeah. So that is number one. Uh, that has something to do with skill set. So when, when I started in the 92, when I was 11, my dad taught me how to draft the tractor that is mm -hmm. going with 30 kilometers an hour. Okay. So this is how I started. Mm -hmm. That uh, you have to put in the proper gear, where you have to you have to sprint up to the speed, uh, and then uh, of course you have to consider that I was very young at that time, so 30 kilometers an hour is like light speed. Yeah, yeah. And um, then you learn the things. It's just it's not just blindly driving behind a draft. Right. It is you have to pay attention to all the details. You know what is oh, the like? How is the road? So uh, when I go, uh, just as an example, the trucks, when I go with trucks, I count the axles. So when the front wheel goes through the pothole, mm. I can count like up, 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 and then I know mm. when it's coming. And uh, of course, if you go with a very slow vehicle, you're just dingle dangling, you know, yeah. there's no, but if you go to a vehicle that goes, let's say, uh, to the limit of your performance, then you are always under stress mm. and you have to focus on the road. Mm. You have to check uh, when you go on the side. I usually ride on one of the corners. They are always saying like, yeah, but what happens if they break? Yeah, what happens if you walk over a street and car drives over you? You know, it's the same. You know, how often does that happen that the commercial vehicle will hit the brakes to a full stop? Right. I have not seen a single one in yeah. India. Yeah. And now I'm riding since 92 on drafting yeah. and not a single time I have been smashed on the back of a vehicle because they did a full stop brake. So, but you have to gain the experience step by step. And that is, I think, one of the most important. The easiest is you take uh, this um, uh, small gearless motorcycle. Mm -hmm. It's a 50cc. Yeah. They go 55 kilometers an hour. You draft that because you have good visibility. And uh, I would say every, uh, let's say, uh, ambition trained person will be able to ride at least a short period of time, 55 in a draft. Right. So they can they can follow a few kilometers. 
and uh, that is a way to start learning because mm. here there's not the tractors are too slow yeah and uh, the commercial vehicles are already too fast, too fast yeah. and then uh, for me i would say the fastest that i can do is uh, is a bus uh, these uh, blue Volvo buses that is like that is like for me the limit because then I'm gearing out uh, as I, ha I have 48 11 and uh, when I was racing then uh, in Europe I was uh, riding with the uh, so there the trucks will go on these federal roads and they are allowed to go 60 and they usually go 70 75 because that's that's still in the legal base. But when they pass you with 75, it's of course extremely difficult to get there because you need to sprint uh, sprint up them. So the roads where I knew it was fairly straight, then, uh, and that's the same here on the highway, it's basically a straight, you know, there's, you, you don't have to expect a, a 90 degree bend. Uh, yeah, so that yeah. is one major thing that when I ride on the highway and I draft that there, I don't, you don't have to take a risk because there's nobody have to make a right. 90 degree bend and has to slow down. Yeah. And that's the same, um, how I learned in, in Europe, because the, the commercial vehicles that are there, they ride fairly fast. So I know the roads that are straight and I know where the the trucks are going. So then I, uh, I will go there and then I uh, check frequently backwards. And when I see somebody coming, then I already speed up to 40, 50. And mm -hmm. then I start sprinting when he's just behind me. And then when he has to pass, he, uh, he will be at 60. So he, the passing is only 15, 20 kilometers an hour difference. Right. And once he has passed, you go into a full sprint and then you normally uh, catch it. Yeah. And that is, and here all the trucks are riding easy right. speeds. I mean, yeah. I can almost, uh, without sprinting, I can, many vehicles, I can just in sitting, accelerating and get it. But um, again, hmm. you need to know what you're doing. You need to have the skill set. Uh, and I would not recommend to start with a commercial vehicle or a bus uh, for that kind of activity. Mm. Uh, and a motorcycle is always good if you have a friend. You can also learn proper drafting uh, like this. Motor pacing. Yeah. 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 So uh, that is, is, is there. Mm. But many funny... Uh, I mean, I, I have not a single negative experience with drafting. Mm. Uh, Normally, uh, once I'm riding a longer, like let's say the the average distance I cover with the drafting is like five to ten kilometers because mm -hmm. then the truck slows down, goes somewhere else, or I go somewhere else. So it's it's not that you're riding like hours right. with these people. Yeah. But if I know, for example, uh, if I go alone home from Kola and I want to go home until the toll station, what is it like thirty kilometer? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So then I make sure that I'm riding so that the guy sees me in the mirror. Mm the truck driver and most of the truck drivers are very professional they will they will when they uh, when they are turning they are putting on turning signals they will indicate with the hand what they want to do they uh, they don't slam the brakes they slowly brake they they show you on the light uh, you know the brake lights that they tap it that you know that uh, he wants to brake and they're very friendly uh, of course, you always have the one driver that is shit. Mm. Uh, but in general, they are very professional people. And uh, then it's it's really enjoyable because they are also, you know, they have a very monotone work right. to do. Yeah, yeah. And when they have somebody, especially bicycle rider, most of these people have never seen a bicycle rider that fast. Right. So it's for them also some entertainment. entertainment uh, <laughs> and especially if you have a few trucks from the same company, they will then drive together and take videos. And, you know, it's just a fun activity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it comes all back to uh, to skills, uh, mm -hmm. and that is something that uh, you need to learn. And that's why I'm saying my bicycles are not a sports equipment. I see them as a toy. Right. And uh, now with my son uh, starting to ride, also, I I follow basically my dad's uh, footprints. I'm I'm letting him ride if he enjoys it. Yeah. And uh, we are doing more of these playful activities like building ramps, uh, driving down sidewalks. 
and uh, on the weekends we drive through these um, these neighborhoods where the houses have been a little bit more uncoordinated built mm-hmm. they have these small walk paths where the local people know how to walk through the neighborhood right so i learned them in indanaga mm-hmm. and uh, i ride them with him with a mountain bike right. and um, this is a little bit to learn skills because right. it's very tight spaces and uh, it's a lot of fun jumping sidewalks uh you have uh, staircases you can ride and so on so it's, it's just a fun activity trails. yeah yeah correct hmm. so i enjoy this uh, a lot uh, and especially now as elio is uh, growing up and he is enjoying this as well uh, so he has uh, i go with him then around nice nice uh, also to kind of commemorate your uh, you know time here in india you built a, a bike uh, uh, frame up here yes uh, made entirely so for those who are what you know listening to this on video they can see this in the background uh maybe the lighting is not great but this is a beautiful looking uh we can know. put a link into the video yeah, when it was yeah. built <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so this is a beautiful uh, frame that is built by uh praveen correct uh prabhakaran mm. who, who is also who on the podcast recently mm. um so what uh you know what are the components you have on this bike so i when i was racing I had Campagnolo Coros mm-hmm. and of course as a young boy I was always dreaming of the like what today is called super record was called Campagnolo record titanium at that mm-hmm. time but uh, because of money constraints and uh, many things uh, there was no way that I could afford or get uh, super record mm-hmm. so and then uh, now when I was in India and I got more and more into this uh, bike community here and looking at bikes and so on I was thinking about doing a project of just building this teenager dream built that i had and uh, so then i started to investigate a little bit and i could find these components second hand mm. they were of course worn out or properly used because it's 25 years old mm. and uh, then i spoke with my dad about this project and uh, the campagnolo components i could source so i had that already on the site and i was actually thinking to buy a shinelli uh, super corsa mm. that was the original project and then uh, my dad was saying like yeah but you know if you're in india maybe there is a way that you can get a indian bike built right and take it as a souvenir home mm-hmm. because that will last forever and then this project started and then of course uh, with the friends and so on i i, I uh, talked a little bit uh, you know to people of uh, where could we could this be done and so on and then then praveen came up and uh, when i had the first discussion then i <laughs> I told Praveen, you know, I'm a very simple customer. I know exactly what I want. Mm. And I know all the measurements. Right. Uh, I know everything what needs to be done. But the only thing is that I'm very picky. So that <laughs> will be the part where I'm not that good of a customer. Mm. And then uh, we came very well along. I explained exactly what I wanted to have. Uh, he realized all the different details that I wanted to have perfectly. Like I wanted to have an Indian flag on it. Like the Italian frames have an Italian flag on it. I want to have a made in India on it. Uh, that people see that, you know, it's quality can come from, from India. Uh, the color scheme I had in my head uh, with the chromed... Uh, uh what are they called the chrome to the what are those joints right yeah correct now i am uh, not getting the word yeah yeah but, uh, <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah the logs yeah yeah the chrome and, logs. Uh, yeah. then uh when praveen ordered uh, the material to build the frame set and that is now the biggest uh joke for this whole bike build 
he showed me the material when it arrived here. And it comes from the same supplier that supplies to the Chinelli Supercorsa. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so yeah. I uh, basically got uh, Indian souvenir exactly with the material that is built. So it's a Columbus SL uh, tubing and the lugs are coming from the same uh, company then that's just supplying to yeah. uh, Chinelli. And we found it out because the bottom bracket, when I saw the bottom bracket, so it is exactly like the Chinelli. And then I looked at the other stuff and then I thought, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> so that is how it has come. And uh, then... I wanted to share that story also to my friends in Europe mm. and uh, I made this bike built video where right. I put, uh, so I had done all the assembly at home, yeah. a test assembly that everything works what I have yeah. put together and then uh, we put all the components together. We went uh, to Velo Studio who helped me out on that yeah. and then we made a nice video uh, of putting this bike together and it's uh, for me it's it just uh, the first rides. It reminded me so much to my racing time because that, yeah. at that time a lot of chrome was there. My fork was a uh, aluminium uh, polished fork, and then you have this bling in the sun and so on. So that is uh, what I'm missing a little bit on the on the new bicycles mm. because everything is black. Right. So the carbon ones. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it is just uh, such a joy to ride on that bike. Of course, uh, it is. It's not the technology of today. You feel that. I mean, yeah. it is. Uh, it is more stiff. It is not as comfortable mm. and things like that. Even though steel frame and so on, there's a lot of discussions about it. But mm. reality is, if you have a very well built carbon frame, mm. then you have a much more comfortable ride, especially right. also with the wider tires and and uh, te- it's just technology that has evolved. Yeah. But from a beauty contest, it's yeah. uh, it's that bike. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, still a dream bike uh, to see this bling, even though everything, uh, all the components are now twenty five years old. I mean, nineteen ninety eight. Mm-hmm. So it is it is old, but uh, it works. It all is. I, I rebuild everything from scratch, so it all works perfectly fine. There's no no performance or shifting thing. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the the shifting speed is still way faster than uh, the right. And And the wheels that you have on this bike are the same wheels you raced with. Yeah, correct. Uh, so yeah. I had this uh, Aero uh, 40 millimeter aluminum wheel set that I was racing on, 16 spokes. Nice. Uh, it's an Italian company, GPM. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are for me just the most beautiful, one of, one of the most beautiful wheels. And uh, I took them from the attic of my aunt there was leakage of oil, so I thought that the the, the bearings are toast. But uh, then when I cleaned everything up and uh, uh, re-greased a little bit, it's like brand new. It's wow. amazing. Uh, amazing. After all these years. And then, unfortunately, Indian road conditions on one of the rides, I went into a pothole. It bent the... Yeah. the, the so that is... Yeah, yeah. I could bend it back, but it's uh, you can see it. Uh, yeah. That is something that I'm really annoyed about uh, <laughs> that uh, that happened. Uh, yeah. yeah. Amazing, yeah. So this is this has been super fun. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. And as I said, I mean, I I could have never imagined that uh, India will bring me back with my friends here back to road cycling that much that I did now here. Yeah, yeah. I will miss the community. I will miss uh, the roads. I will miss the traffic. I will miss the racing in the in the traffic conditions. Um, that is something uh, that is there. But it's not a goodbye. It's a see you soon. Yeah, it's see you soon. Yeah, definitely. I'm I, I'm sure you will uh, come join us for uh, rides here when you are uh, here. Mm-hmm. We are looking forward to it. I think we will do a farewell ride. Yeah, definitely. we will. Uh, we have to. Make, yeah. We will make a, an announcement. Have a nice ride on the beautiful roads that we have around. Yeah, Bangalore. we have to. Yeah. Uh, After uh, so many years of uh, riding together yeah. and also... and I hope that uh, uh, my future life will give me another opportunity to come back. I would like to come back uh, and work here. It has been a fantastic time for the family and myself. 
It's just that right now it doesn't fit mm -hmm. uh, with the job environment to, to stay. That mm -hmm. is the, the, uh, the bugger. But uh, we have uh, at least a view that maybe sometime in the future we will get another opportunity to come back. Yeah, definitely. You're most welcome and uh, see you soon. Yeah. And I hope it is before I use uh, side stands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still want to ride a two-wheeled bicycle, not a four-wheeled bicycle with the side stands. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, thanks for yeah. taking the time and sharing your experience yes. with the working. And also, uh, thank you, uh, Venki, for making sure that the biking community stays intact and uh, we have proper racing in Bangalore and you get uh, everybody together. I think you're one of the driving persons here to to get uh, bicycle riding attractive, not only today, but also for the future. Thank you. That's, thank you for the kind words. That was my conversation with Miran. I hope you enjoy that. If you are enjoying these podcasts and are finding them useful, please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing to it on YouTube as well as on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps. Also, supporting the sponsors of the podcast is a great way to support the podcast itself. Thanks again for your continuous support. See you next week with another guest.